let's be great today. Hello, everyone. We're here today with senior airman Ray Petty. He is a resurfaced uh, paralegal IMA, paralegal out of McGill Air Force Base. Uh, we are so excited about this conversation. We're so excited to talk to Herman Petty about the things that he's gone through, uh, his resilient story. Uh, we've all seen the video by now that has gone viral since then. And we're so extremely proud of everything that he has accomplished and everything that he has done up to this point. We really can't, uh, can't say thank you enough to Herman Petty for giving us this opportunity to chat with him today so that he can share that story now with our community. Again, we're so proud and how you've represented the Air Force and how you've represented the paralegal career field. Uh, yeah, it's just been really incredible and amazing to watch. But at this time, we just wanna give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. Yes, sir. So my name is Ray Curtis Petty Jr. Um, I am from originally from Albany, Georgia. Um, I attended the unsinkable Albany State University in Albany, Georgia. My undergrad degree was in political science. Uh, I attended law school at WMU Cooley Law School. And uh, right here in the campus is in Tampa, Florida. That's where I'm currently uh, sitting as I'm you know, doing this interview as well. So uh, started off in the military uh, at Robbins Air Force Base. And once I started law school, I came down to McDill and um, been at McDill ever since. So uh, it's been a great experience being here at McDill and uh, just seeing, I mean, just being in Florida in general has just been, really been a blessing. So uh, just being able to learn from different leadership, uh, the different changes that we've seen in the world, uh, the different uh, types of missions that take place here at McDill, uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of that and uh, to be able to learn and uh, to help with the mission here. So you mentioned getting a degree in political science or a bachelor's degree in political science. Did that happen before you joined the Air Force or how, uh, how did you get that one? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So my journey was a little bit backwards. And what I mean by that, I mean by my introduction that came into the military. Typically, we would see, you know, a lot of, you know, our enlisted folks, they would go into the military and then go to college. I was a little bit backwards in, in the sense of I had an undergraduate degree and then I went in to be an enlisted person. Uh, so a big reason to, to ask to why I, I went about that route, uh, not just for the GI Bill, uh, but it was really because I always knew I wanted to be a JAG. I always knew that, you know, I had the opportunity to, to commission in and they were, you know, going to give me, let's say, security forces or, you know, uh, one of those other types of jobs that could have been possibly related to what I wanted to do. But, you know, I always thought to myself, like, what better way, you know, to be, you know, who it is that you are aspiring to be than to be able to work under them. So I was willing to humble myself, whatever, you know, I needed to do uh, to be able to learn, you know, from attorneys, actual Jags who are actually doing this on a day-to-day -day basis. And not only from, you know, a, a dream or aspiration standpoint, I also think about it more from a leadership maturity standpoint, uh, from this the perspective of what better way to lead our airmen than to actually be an airman ourselves, you know? So I never wanted to lose, or I always wanted to learn, you know, that perspective, you know, uh, of my people. You know, um, being able to understand the lifestyle of an airman, their, the, the, the day to day on things that they may experience and things that they may go through. So, you know, once I'm graced and blessed enough to be put in a position of leadership, I know how to lead because I understood how to follow. Mm. And it sounds like that, uh, that trip to becoming a lawyer has been everything but easy. You mind uh, just giving us a little opening the door however you feel comfortable um about about that trip because really like it's the i believe it's the travel that really makes the person you know and i like your what you just said about follower because we're all followers no matter how much a leader you are you always be a follower absolutely absolutely my journey for law school really started when i was a kid uh i was that kid who I knew I wanted to be a lawyer even when I was a, a, a young adult. Growing up in my grandmother's house and, and, you know, being around my parents, like watching those old shows like Matlock uh, in the heat of the night. We all have 
you know, been the infamous law and order, uh, you know, watching shows like that and watch them in the courtroom and doing those different things when it comes to how the law is structured and applied and how justice is administered and how even how defense is, is defenses are given. So those things really cultivated me at, even at a young age. And, you know, I remember being that kid at career day at school and uh, I had the, the I was that kid that came to school with the two big shirt and the two little tie. And, you know, uh, I used to get like, you know, one of those uh, bags that my sister got to try to find the one of the ones that was as manly looking as possible to try to carry it to school and say, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. Like I was that kid. I have like photos to even prove it. And uh, even growing up, you know, uh, as I always knew that was in my heart, in my dream, you know, I knew that was something I had a, an aspiration to one day do, but it did not come with obstacles. Um, you know, I used to, as growing up as an adolescent, you know, I was told by teachers that, hey, you know, maybe this kid should be in special education classes. You know, uh, he, he doesn't seem like he's able to maybe grasp these concepts or whatever the case may be. And, you know, even as I got older, coaches were saying things like, oh, you know, this kid, he doesn't even know the plays. He, he doesn't even know the playbook. You know, he doesn't he can't even memorize the playbook. He doesn't know it. And those things you would think, you know, could be traumatizing, you know, to an individual, you know, but I always was the type of person to, to where I understood that not only that I had to understand that I, it wasn't that I had any learning deficiencies. I had to learn that I learned differently. And I think that once I started learning things like that about myself, I had to do twice as much just to, to learn or to get just what somebody else got. I had to put in more work. That was how I learned. I couldn't just do the basic or the average or the minimum and expect the maximum. And it wasn't that I was, you know, had some type of deficiency. I just was different. And I had to learn that and accept that about myself and acknowledge that at an early age. And I remember uh, even as I got out of high school and, you know, I went to school, you know, at a community college for two years. And, you know, I had the opportunity once I finished up my two year associates and my mom, I told my mother, I said, uh, Mama, I said, uh, I'm looking at possibly going to, you know, going off to some school, like maybe in Atlanta or, you know, some big institution. And she told me something that I would never forget. And this has really carried me through a lot of my journey, uh, no matter where I go when it comes to, especially when it comes to community service of, of our communities and also service to our nation. She said, well, how can you say that you can go somewhere else and do something when you haven't done anything where you're from first? And, mm -hmm. you know, for me growing up in Albany, Georgia, being the fifth, you know, ranked poorest city in, in the whole country, you know, I decided to stay home and finish up my four-year degree where I was from in Albany, Georgia, at uh, Albany State University. So as I, you know, started going out through that path, I did a lot of things in the community. I started to really find my, my passion for service. Um, and once I got done with Albany State, you know, I started applying to law schools. I graduated from Albany State in 2014. Mm. I didn't get into law school until fall of 2017. I got rejected from law schools for three straight years. I mean, rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. I used to get so many de denial letters in the mail that my mother used to throw them in the trash because she didn't want me to be discouraged, you know. But she didn't know I was getting the emails, though. So I was still getting it. So I was still getting it on the back end. But, you know, it had gotten so bad when it came to my rejections. Like I had, I was working four jobs. I had four jobs total during that three year period. I worked three of them at the same time. You know, uh, some, sometimes I would save up two to three checks just to put in a, um, you know, a, you know, a, a application. Those applications are definitely not, not cheap. And, but I just knew it was what I wanted to do. I worked at TJ Maxx with one of my jobs that I worked. And even during that time, I used to, I used to tell myself that I'm going to law school. I'm going to law school. No matter what anybody else told me, I used to just tell myself, like, anybody can encourage you, but sometimes you got to learn how to encourage yourself as well. And I used to tell myself that, and, and I used to just say, like, I, I got to walk. I got to talk like I already got it. And as I'm on this path, like, there were times to where, or even working at TJ Maxx in that six-year period, I would buy stuff like ties and bow ties, and I would buy dress shirts. I would just be preparing myself as if I'm going to law school for three years, you know, and 
I just remember within that three-year time frame as well, my mother and my brother, uh, my brother, he's prior military service as well. And uh, they pulled me off to the side one day and they said, you know, maybe you ought to think about, you know, doing something else. Maybe you ought to, you know, think about, you know, we know that you've been trying to get into law school, but, you know, maybe this isn't for you. And I don't tell you that part of the story to just say that, oh, man, they didn't want to see me go to law school. No, they didn't want to see me struggle. They seen that I was working three jobs at one time, you know, just to try to make ends meet and do those type of things that a young adult is supposed to be doing. Life doesn't stop just because you're trying to get into law school. You know, life doesn't stop just because I had to take the bar exam. So as I, you know, started to matriculate throughout this process, you know, I just remember telling myself again, okay, if somebody can come up to me, if anybody can come up to me or come up to you and say, you should not be doing this and you don't do it, that means that it was never for you to do in the first place. So I had to remind myself, even in those moments, that this is what I'm supposed to do. So I learned that valuable lesson of you have to be careful who you tell your dreams to. Because sometimes people may not see your vision. It may not be for them to see at the time that you got it. So during that season of my life, I had to stop telling them that I was applying to law school. You know, I had to start making sure that if I was going to apply to law school, I wasn't going to tell anybody because, you know, I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. But one thing I, I learned out of a revelation in that moment when it came to my dreams and being able to tell different persons and different things, because sometimes we feel so anxious. We we are trying to we want something so bad, you know, that we're just we're just kind of looking for any type of help that we possibly can get to get there, even if it means telling family, you know, trying to get to that that place as well. But, you know, sometimes we got too many fingerprints on our blueprints. We got too many hands in the pot, you know, that is trying to get you to where you're trying to go. But it's like my pastor back home always says, he said, you know, ain't been there, can't tell going there how to get there. You know, I was trying to get to where I wanted to go from people who've never gone where I'm trying to get, you know. So I don't know if any of that made sense in the moment, but, you know, it's good preaching now, you know, because now I got the revelation of, okay, sometimes, you know, you just got to do it. Don't advertise the change. Just make it. Just be you. And I remember when I finally got, you know, in, accepted into a law school, you know, at first, you know, I told myself, like, OK, this is when the military came up within that two to three year period. And I said, OK, even if I get into law school, because remember, I'm preparing myself as if I'm going to law school. So I'm thinking out everything. I didn't have any help when it came to things like thinking out how to get to law school because I'd never seen anybody do it before. So I'm going out throughout this process and I'm like, man, how do I do it? Okay, even if I get to law school, how the heck am I going to pay for it? So the military was a big thing for me because I would say, okay, I know I want to I want to go jack. I know I want to do all these things, but how am I going to pay for it? And, you know, I start thinking to myself, you know, this is my dreams. You know, my dreams are my responsibility. It's not somebody else's obligation, you know. So if I want to make this thing happen, I need to find a way to make it happen. So the military, you know, being a paralegal was one of the ways to make it happen. And I was not going to choose any other job. You know, uh, I got offered other jobs. I got I mentioned before about the officer going to be an officer uh, and even other jobs on the enlisted side as well. But I I remember telling my recruiter, I said, "I, I will not take another job outside of being a paralegal. Like this is the career field that I want to be in. I want to be able to learn from people who are doing what it is that I want to do. So. That's how I got to that point. Now, when I finally got accepted into law school, you know, the, the, the move got made to McDill. Uh, McDill actually kind of happened sort of by accident. You know, McDill happened to be, uh, you know, and maybe out of scale back for just a second. I had some mentors, you know, that were encouragers uh, to me in Albany and uh, Pastor Bevel in Albany, Georgia, uh, at Sherwood Church uh, turned out to be one of my mentors. But what I didn't know is uh, by the time I got accepted into law school and I realized that there was an Air Force base at McDill. So I put in a request to see, can I do some of my seasonal orders there to get some of my GI Bill? And what I didn't know at that time was my supervisor that I was going to have at McDill uh, was my mentor's brother's wife. <laughs> I, oh, that's I, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, completely crazy. And during the time that I was working in Albany, Georgia, working my three to four jobs, I hadn't talked to him in a while because I'm working. I got a lot going on. So, And I didn't realize it until I got, it was the first day at PT. 
And uh, surprisingly, somebody hit my car. We did uh, PT off base on my first day uh, at McDill when I was on my seasonal tour of about six, seven months. And um, this is before law school. I had to do those orders before law school started. And uh, first day of PT, somebody hit my car. I had such a good attitude because I'm like, look, I've been praying to be here. I've been wanting to be here for a long time. I'm in a, I'm in a finally in a position to start law school. And uh, Sergeant Bevel, she came up to me. She said, Ray, do you know, uh, you know a pastor Bevel back in Albany, Georgia? I said, that's my mentor. She said, that's my brother-in-law. Like, I was like, oh, man. So it just was a super small world. Like, but it's connections and opportunities and, you know, things that happen in life. I just believe that they don't happen by accident. Like, these things are intentional, intentionally done. And, um, you know, as I got through, you know, um, finished my orders with McDill, my family finally started looking. They was like, okay, look, we know you got accepted into law school. We're going to try to support you in any way that we can. So my sister at the time, my sister is the oldest out of uh, me and my, my, sibling, my older, other sibling, my older brother. She's the oldest. Her name was Shakoti Sapp. She was a registered nurse. And uh, she moved down from Georgia to Tampa just to help me to get through law school. She said, hey, I understand you got some of your GI Bill, but let me try to help take some of the burden off you. So all you have to do is just to focus on school. Just focus on school. Focus on your dreams. Like You've been wanting to do this for a long time. Now you're in a position to do it. So... We're going to try to do everything that we can do to make sure that we can support you. And um, my sister got me all the way into my last semester of law school, you know. And um, my sister was born with sickle cell disease. And, you know, it's a disease that um, many of primarily, you know, in the African-American community are born with to where they're autoimmune. You know, it's not like many of ours to where it can, you know, defend against, you know, a lot of the you know, airborne, uh, you know, things that may, you know, attack our immune system. Their blood doesn't clot like ours. But on, you know, April 22nd, I remember coming into uh, our apartment that we had at the time, and I found her non-responsive. And surprisingly, this was in 2020, and COVID was super, super bad at that time uh, to the point that, you know, everybody was quarantined. And I was on my uh, IMA military orders at the time. So I was teleworking and uh, I was upstairs, you know, doing some things upstairs, uh, you know, as a paralegal. And um, I came back down. Now, she did have some surgeries on her knees uh, about a month or two months before that. And what we didn't know was that she had developed sepsis in her knees. None of us knew. I'm watching Netflix with her the night before. Uh, my last conversation with her was about 30 minutes before. It was a 15-second uh, FaceTime. No, showed no signs of death whatsoever. So during that time frame of, of 2020, I came back down, you know, 30 minutes or so later, and she was in the middle of the living room floor. Like, this is like a scene out of a movie. Like, I'm like, whoa, like, what just happened? Like, you know, I just talked to you. Like, what just happened? So immediately I started performing CPR. Um, I, I started, you know, going through the process, calling EMS, you know, after a while calling my mother, telling her, like, she, she won't wake up. She won't wake up. She won't wake up. And she just got cold. She got cold. She got cold. And, um, you know, EMS got there and, you know, um, she she ended up passing away. And it it did a lot to me in that moment, because at that moment, I had been through so many other things in life to where I just never thought I would have to deal with death. I never thought it's not even the, the point to where I, I didn't think I would have to deal with death. But to take a step further, I didn't think I would have to deal with death in this way, this close to home from somebody who showed me no signs of death. Now, my sister in 2019, the year before, she was on life support. In 2019, she passed away in 2020. In 2019, every single organ in her body because of sickle cell disease had caused her every organ to completely shut down. And at that moment, we had made a decision as a family to take her off life support, you know, because we were just prolonging her suffering. But somehow miraculously through some divine intervention, she recovered. The doctors ran in there and said, hey, we think you all should stop. There's something that has happened with her vitals that we can't explain. We're not trying to give you false hope, but there is a chance. So we took that chance. We took that hope and somehow she fully recovered. 
But it wasn't until 2020 to where she started to develop those infections in her knees to where she had to have multiple surgeries on her knees. And then when she got sent back home with her and I lived together, that's when the sepsis entered her bloodstream. So for me, after that, the very next week, within the very next week, I had to not only move everything out of the apartment, I had to move in with my mother. And I had to take my last five classes of law school in order to graduate, right? So I'm giving you a time frame at this point of 2020. My sister passed away. The very next week, I had to get ready to take five classes for law school. Directly after that, I had to start studying for the bar exam. Directly after that, I had to go back on military orders. Directly after that, I had to start studying for the bar exam again, you know, and I know what you all probably are thinking, like, man, when do you when did you have time to, to grieve? You know, I didn't, you know, and what made those matters worse is it was a blessing living with my mother, but it was also a curse at the same time. It was a blessing from the standpoint that some of the financial burden was, you know, taken away some of it. But on the other end, there was still the grief that never got dealt with. I lost my sister, but she lost her daughter, right? And my mother, th to top all of this off, I knew my mother is a therapist, you know? I knew that my mother could not carry and handle my pain, you know? She couldn't handle and carry my pain the way that I could. So what I would do is, which is probably one of the worst mistakes that I had made in my life was, I would just bury myself in busy. I would just just bury myself in busy as long as I felt like I was moving. And anybody whom I've probably ever worked with in the Jack or anybody's probably known me no more than a day will tell you by the end of that conversation. I'm going to have some quote to tell you. I'm going to have some story or some encouraging or inspiring parable to give you by the end of that conversation. But I can honestly tell you both today and our viewers that I became a high functioning depressed person, you know, going through this time period. You know, because it just seemed like I never had that opportunity. My mother's a therapist, but my dad is a preacher, you know, but I had to understand that not only am I dealing with my grief, they're dealing with their grief. Even for my father in the last three years, he has lost his brother, his mother and his father, you know. So it's like and his daughter. Now you throw that on. There's like how much can they take yet alone? They're trying to take your grief as well. So I just bottled it that all in all that, that frustration, all those things. And I just tried to keep living. But what ended up happening, happening is, and this is a, a revelation that I got in this, in this process that I hope that people can be encouraged by my story and recognizing the fact that if you don't deal with something at a point when it doesn't cost you much, eventually you're going to get to a point and a place in life to where it's going to cost you everything, right? So there was a point to where the first exam, I just tried to muscle my way through it. I just tried to bury myself in busy, right? Just study, 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 study. The second time around, like once I got those results back on the first time around, I just put, took the Band-Aid off. I said, hey, it is what it is. My mother was even at the, at the house at that point. She was at home. And I was like, look, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. I just kept telling myself that eventually I'm going to deal with my grief. I'm going to deal with my grief. And I never did. I just never did, right? And... It just started to really spill out into other areas of my life. You know, this was a season in life as I went through the, my second time preparing for the bar exam to where a lot of things within me came to light to where this was rock bottom for me. You know, I was taking a hit in every area that you can possibly take a hit mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, you know, spiritually, every single aspect of life. I'm doing DoorDash. I'm, my health had taken such a hit. I'm a fit person. You know, uh, I'm a gym junkie. You know, I've won two 5Ks just by being in the state of Florida, representing my law school. But I tell you those accolades to also tell you my failures, you know, to say that during this time frame, I lost over 30 pounds. You know, that stress was going somewhere. It had to go somewhere. And I remember that stress had just attacked my body so much to the point to where it just took such a physical toll on my body to where my hips had gotten out of place. And I remember going to the doctor, they said, Petty, your core muscles are weak. And, you know, they were telling me that from a physical standpoint, but I also seen it more from a spiritual standpoint as well. Because as I had buried myself in busy over the past year, 
I just learned that I stopped doing a lot of the things that really got me to this point. I got away from my foundation. You know, I wasn't going to church. I, you know, some days I would just stay in the room. I wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, COVID was happening too. So you just imagine throwing your grief on, on COVID, you know, on top of going through everything that the world is already going through. And on top of, you know, the world was losing somebody every day, you know, um, everybody was losing family, friends, like left and right. So who am I to call somebody else, you know, to, you know, woe is me. This is what I'm going through in life, you know. And everybody was going through something in 2020. But it wasn't, everything came to a head for me, you know, um, as I got to the end of the bar exam. And this was the last remote exam that we did for the bar. And uh, I knew something, something better had to be on the way. I mean, just, you know, two side notes, for even when I started preparing for the bar exam, like my focus was really challenged uh, during this season of life on every single aspect. And what topped it off for me was when the week of the bar exam, I had a remote exam, uh, just like many others out there. And one night, a fire broke out in the hotel. You know, like an actual fire, legit fire broke out in the hotel. I'm on the seventh floor in the corner of the building, you know. This is the night before the exam, like three, four in the morning, you know. And then the next night, a domestic dispute broke out in, in like the room beside me. I was like, what is going on? Like, oh, the week that I'm taking the bar, like, what is going on? So I did like any other responsible person would. I got my laptop and a hoodie and my charger and I left the building. But, um, you know, you know, I, I tell you that all in, in just to say that there was some some moments, you know, throughout this story where it just makes you. It goes back and you can laugh at some of those moments. But, you know, after I got done with the other bar exam, the end of July, you know, I went back on military orders uh, for 2021. This was August 2021. And I was on I was doing all of my orders at this point, you know, for, because I'm an IMA. And I won't lie to you. Like I had a I was on orders for about a week, maybe a week and a half, you know, and I won't lie. Like I had a mental breakdown as I was on those orders. And I had went to lunch, you know, one day and I, I just called my like text. I think I text. I remember texting my supervisor. I said, hey, I need to go talk to somebody. I went to the chaplain. I went to the chaplain and I looked at the chaplain when I got there and I looked at him. I told him straight up. I said, sir, I'm, I won't lie to you. I, I don't want to be here, but I know I need to. And I'm the type of person to where, like, again, I, you would never know it. You would never know it. You, I, I'm a strong person. I, I like to work out. You know, I'm always saying something positive. I always got a smile on my face. People never even knew it. You know, no matter where I go, I'm, I'm saying all the, the, the great things. Praise the Lord. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm saying all these things that where people, it would go completely undiscoverable, completely unnoticed. But I had to acknowledge in that moment that I need to talk to somebody. I need professional guidance. Like one of the, the wisest things that somebody always told me, especially after my sister died, one of my best friends, he told me a month before because his father had passed away from COVID uh, in 2020, the month before, a month, the same exact day, but a month before my sister passed away. He said, he said, Petty, he said, the most difficult part about this process is when somebody passes away when somebody passes away is not when the person passes away because because he said hey everybody calls you everybody texts you but the real challenge comes when the calls stop when the texts stop because at that point you're left alone with yourself your own thoughts you know and when my sister passed away i just felt inadequate i just felt like i wasn't enough i felt like i didn't do enough to save her but in all actuality sepsis is in the bloodstream there was nothing that i could do i didn't even know at the time you know, we didn't know that she had passed away from sepsis until the autopsy came back. But I remember going to the chaplain and I, I just poured all out. I poured all out. I didn't realize how much stuff at that point that I had went through, not only from my sister passing away, but all throughout my childhood. You know, it wasn't until that conversation with, with Chaplain, chaplain Caps here at Medill, uh Chaplain here in Florida. He said, he said, Petty, he said, Listen to your story. He said, man, you've gone through a lot of stuff. <laughs> you've gone through a lot of stuff. And it didn't hit me into that moment that I had, you know, because I had never really talked to somebody about it. You know, I have friends, you know, who may pick up the phone here and there. You know, we may have great conversations, but I didn't have anybody to help me to focus on my mental health, you know. And that's something that, you know, I encourage people to, to look into. You know, I'm a, I, strong people are not precluded from having weak moments. Right. Yep. 
So yep. it just really hit me even in the, during that time that I, I just needed to. So in, in starting that process of counseling, you know, Captain uh, Chaps, you know, he gave me all the tools that I needed during that time. And that was the meeting for me that I can honestly look at and tell you both transparently that that meeting really saved my life, you know, because I didn't know that I had so much baggage that I was just carrying, you know, and throughout this process, I even like I, I kept going, I kept going back to chat. Me and him had plenty of conversation. We still have conversations to this day. And I tell them that. And um, that conversation really changed my life. I really had to humble myself enough to acknowledge that I needed help. You know, no matter how strong I felt, no matter how motivating I felt, there were times I may encourage somebody when I'm secretly discouraged myself. But you can't pour from an empty cup. Eventually, you know, I'm so used to being Superman all the time to where now in this season of life, I had to learn how to be Clark Kent. I had to learn how to put the Superman suit away and admit that I had vulnerabilities. So going forward, even with the story, you know, going through the chaplain, going through, uh, I even had somebody even in my legal office as well. Uh, she mentioned something as well. That's why it's always great to have a good support team as well, because I can imagine if I wasn't able to share this story with anybody or share my weaknesses or share my struggles with other people in the office. I was able to do that here at McDill through the McDill legal office. And uh, Ms. Shannon, our civilian paralegal, she came up to me. She said, said, Petty, we got this thing at our church called a grief support group. You should look into it. I said, cool. She gave me all the information. She sent me the website. Like to me, that's a wingman. That's what a wingman is supposed to be like. You know, she was able, she never judged me. She never looked at me crazy. You know, I think there, there's such a stigma with mental health that I wish that, you know, going forward that we can change the core, you know, and what I mean by change the core, I don't mean the C-O-R-E, I mean the C-O-R-P, you know, change the core and break the stigma when it comes to seeking mental health and professional guidance. You know, your personal friends can only take you so far, but your professional, your professional doctors, we can go, you know, to the doctor for, you know, a broken you know, hand or broken shoulder or knee, whatever, you know, an actual body part. But we should also be able to go to the doctor when it comes to our mind, you know, when it comes to our mental health as well. But she mentioned the, the, uh, the grief support group and also the counseling that I was already seeking. With counseling and, and the grief support group, I can look at you today and be like, hey, you know what? These groups have given me the opportunity, the tools to not only learn how to overcome certain things in life but there are certain things like grief that you cannot overcome there are certain things in life that you can only learn how to manage but you can only learn how to manage if you only have the necessary tools that you only can get by going to professionals by going to grief support groups you know and that was something that i had to learn how to do in this season and you know uh, the chaplain here, Chaplain Caps here at McDill, like I remember uh, my last one of my last, you know, experiences that I had that was really the turning point for me and going on to this upward trajectory that I'm on right now. And I told him, I said, Chaplain, I want to get myself rebaptized. He said, well, Petty, because I, I had already been baptized nine years you know, ago. He said, well, Petty, there's really no scriptural background, you know, for what you're trying to do. I said, well, it's symbolic. He said, well, Petty, I support you. I'll tell you that part of the story just to say that when you're looking for counsel, when you're looking for, you know, professional help, find someone who matches your values and what you represent, who are willing to support you as you navigate these waters. And people who are, who are also able to be honest with you as well. And uh, he, he supported me and get my rebaptism. I said, Chaplain, I said, this isn't, I'm not going to call it a rebaptism. I said, I'm going to call this a release. He said, all right, well, let me know when, you, when you're going to do it. So October 15th is the day that we decided. And the goosebumps part about this story is October 15th is when we did what you all would know as a rebaptism. I call it a release, and I'll explain what I mean by release in just a moment. But uh, I didn't know that on the day of my baptism, the baptism that I did on October 15th of 2021 was on the same exact day, nine years ago. And I didn't even know it until the day of morning of, because it popped up on my Facebook memories. And um, 
it was just such a, a goosebump feel. But the word that I had gotten in that season of my life as I was doing fasting and praying, going through counseling and grief support group was release. And, you know, I, re- I remember going through uh, praying and, 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 and realizing and understanding what that word meant to me in that season. And I was like, God, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I, I remember just, you know, inside, you know, the Lord was telling me, like, I don't just want you to forget these last, you know, nine years. I want you to release it so that you can walk into all the newness that I have for you, you know. And that was a point for me to where I stopped worrying about how the story ends, how what happens, what happens next. And this is all this that I'm telling you now happened before I even got my bar exam results back. This happened way before the video went viral. This happened before the video was even made. All these steps took place because I had to make a conscious decision that I had to acknowledge that I had problems. I had to acknowledge the fact that I needed help. I had to acknowledge the fact that I didn't like how I was feeling. I had to acknowledge the fact that I was angry. Even in my faith, I was angry with God because I felt like he took somebody that I needed. You know, it just felt like I wasn't enough. It just felt like all those things from the beginning of my lifespan, being told by teachers, hey, you know, you should be in special education classes. You know what, by coaches, he's not smart enough to remember a playbook. Oh, all these law schools, well, maybe you should think about another profession. You know, whether it comes from family being supportive or unsupportive or friends or X, Y, Z, whatever the case may be, all of those things, let it all go. They all, I had to let it all go. I had to yeah. let it go. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Good so, Lord, I like wrote down all these quotes you were saying. <laughs> I'm going to start putting them up. Well, that's the interview. Thank you very much, everybody. We appreciate you. I'm just kidding. No. Man, so, so, so tell me, so tell me uh, after the release, because I think that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. After the release, Talk to me about, talk to us about uh, the bar exam notification. Oh, so the bar exam notification, you mean like the first one or the second one? Nah, the second one. First one, if there's a second one, I'm going to guess, <laughs> and then by from everything, but by reading and, and, and hearing, hearing everything, I think we're good there. That second one is where I want to, I want to camp yeah. out. So the second one meant a lot. You know, uh, as I mentioned on the first one, I did not, I told, I just, I just opened it. I just took the bandaid off. But the second time around, I said, I told my mom, I said, mama, I said, I'm not going to open this without you. And uh, she was at, she was at the house that day and she was actually talking to a client and she says, uh, she, she finishes up the call. She was like, Hey, uh, you know, they got an emergency. Uh, I have a, a family emergency right now. Cause right when I got the note, the email notification, I'm sitting in the kitchen, I'm waving at her like, Hey. Hey, it just got real. Like, it just got real. I got the, I got the hotline bling over here, you know? And uh, she gets off the phone and she comes over there. And even before the fact, she asked me, she said, why are you dressed up? Like, a lot of people see me in, a, you know, an orange cardigan and a bow tie. And I go back to my days at TJ Maxx. I said, well, mom, I got to look like God had done something for me. I don't know what these results are going to show. And I said, but I'm going I'm to look like where I'm going. And um, I just remember. The whole world seeing me thank my mom at the end of the video. What they didn't see was that I also thanked her at the beginning. And I told her that no matter how this turns out, you know, thank you for allowing me to 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 live here. Thank you for, you know, supporting me. You know, I'm 29 years old. You know, I'm living with my mother, you know, you know, like that just doesn't happen at the age of 29. But my mo- my mother was like, hey, this is your dream. You know, I'm not kicking you out the house just because you're, you haven't passed the bar exam yet. It's not like you're out here just doing some anything, like I'm going to support you. Like, you know, there were days to where even as I got these exam results back and even as I was studying for the same time around, like there were some days I forgot to eat. You know, there were some days that me and my mother, live in, we live in the same house. We wouldn't even see each other for a whole week or two, you know, because I'm up early, I'm back home late. You know, and uh, so when you see her tears in that video, it's not just because of the things that she see that she seen me struggle through. She also seen my sacrifices, you know, so I couldn't share that moment with anybody else besides my mother on that day that I got that notification to my email. And, you know, I remember getting that notification and 
I'm I'm kind of like I'm praying. I'm like God, I just trust you. Like I don't know somehow, some way, you know. Um, but I opened up the email, and uh, at first I got kind of scared because I started like reading it. Like I talked to a, a friend of mine who took the same jurisdiction that I did about a month or so before. She was like, Ray, when I passed the same jurisdiction, my congratulatory email had like three sentences, and that was it. Mine had like three paragraphs. So when I see paragraphs, like I started stepping back, like, cause I'm like, I'm just looking for, did you pass or did you fail? Like, you know, I'm trying to see what's what. So I'm, I'm going on there. I'm, I'm looking. And then like, I started seeing the score that I got and I knew it was enough. And I'm like, I kind of started backing up like, holy, like Kamoli. Like I'm just kind of over, overjoyed. My mother, I don't know. Like she just immediately seen it. I guess she was just kind of waiting for me to catch up when I seen it. But, um, it was a man. Great- let me tell you something. Watching your mom, man, that being a father, you could just feel the pride that she had. Yeah, man. I know you feel it, but sometimes it's just good to just be aware that it exudes. She was, she just had it. You can see. So there's no doubt in the mind of anybody watching that video that that woman was so proud of her son. Yeah. And she knew exactly what went through in order to get that there. So, man, hats off to her. I'd like to meet her one day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. She's incredible. Um, she sacrificed so much for me to be here as well. Um, she, it all started with her. I mean, my mom, teen mom, high school dropout, GED, you know, three, three kids, you know, single mother. So, all those things, like she told us at an early age, I mean, we had nothing. She said, you all are going to break generational cycles. You know, um, she started this, you know, she, after she got her GED, she went to college. Then she got her master's degree. Like she became the example. Like she always told us, she said, like, I don't want y'all to have role models. I want y'all to have real models, you know? And she was a, she was a real model for us. You know, it's one thing to see people, you know, you know, say we, we always see social media, for example, like we see everybody's highlights, but how often do we hear somebody's lowlights, you know, to say that, hey, I was down and got up, you know, I'm, I'm to the stage and age now, like I'm afraid of folks who don't go through nothing. I'm, 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 oh, yeah. I'm afraid of, you know, like I feel like, hey, y'all ain't got no value. You know, I need some thieves out there that's looking for some houses to rob. I, I don't want to be robbed, but I'm trying to just paint a picture that people that have value they they have it's just something about them you know uh that they have something that's worth losing that they don't want to lose so they're going to they're going to appreciate it more they're going to honor the sacrifices they've made so my mother was that for me she was that chain breaker man oh no so what is next what is next which which i know you said before you're Trying not to focus on what next, but 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 not at the end. But what's next? You know, I would love you know to be an Air Force Jag. You know, that's always been a dream of mine since I was a kid. And I even have this in my office. I've been carrying this around. I know you guys probably do that when you all have something you know that you're aiming for. You put that rank somewhere where you can see it. So I got this thing hanging up you know, in my room, I just brought it here for our purposes today as well to show yeah. people that you got to put up where you're going. You can't just look like where you've been, you know, you, you got to visualize it. You got to write the vision plane. So this is still my dream, you know, uh, to, to, to be an Air Force JAG. It's, it's what I've seen. It's what I've practiced. Uh, it's what I went to school for. Uh, but in addition to that, I know that I would love to have a career in sports and entertainment. Um, as, as I mentioned, even with my story, uh, growing up, you know, told by coaches that, man, this guy can't remember a playbook. So I always told myself, you know what, they will let me on the field, but I'm coming for the building. That's just how my mindset works in life. And, uh, yeah, so I always just had a passion for sports and entertainment. Uh, he, he has a quote book. <laughs> he sounds like my godmother. Uh, whenever I talk to her, before I say a word, she tells me, wait, wait one minute. I need to go get my book, you know. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got. Let's be great day. Uh, yeah, let, let's make it a great day. Why not us? Yeah. Oh, what was that? Ain't, ain't been there, ain't going there, ain't gonna get there. Yeah. 
That was my favorite one, I think, out of all. Role model, real model, highlights, little lights, snowfield, going to take the building. Yeah. But you know what, though? I tell you this, fellas. Like, you know, I know that I didn't get here by myself. Um, no matter what my yeah. aspirations are, no matter what, how many congratulatories I get, I look back at my family. I look back at my McDill family, uh, my military family in general. I consider you all to be my military family as well. We're brothers and brothers and sisters out there, you know, in arms forever, you know. Uh, we represent this uniform. Uh, it just means so much. So I just appreciate you for also taking the time out just to even speak to me. And, you know, I think back to these moments and, you know, uh, the, the conversations, like everything meant something. Like as I'm looking at this uniform now, like I'm thinking about my family and I see my name on one side, my last name, and then I see the U.S. Air Force on another. And I'm just reminded even in this moment that, you know, we, we don't go as far as our dreams. We go as far as our team, you know. Uh, it's the people that support us along the way, you know, that really help us to be where we are. Like uh, it, take, it truly does take a village. It takes strong SJAs. Like I, since I've been at McDill, I've had, you know, a changeover of three, you know, SJAs, you know, and all of them have been very supportive and very knowledgeable, you know, when it came to, if I had questions about this journey, like, okay, what do I put on my resume? What do I put, you know, what, what classes do I need to take in law school? You know, what do I need to put, you know, on XYZ, my application, you know, to become a JAG or what internships do I need to look at? So, I know I didn't get here by myself. I think about my um, NCOICs. You know, I think about, like, I'd hate to say one name or many names because I'm not going to forget somebody, but all of them are great, you know. But they took me in as if I was family. They never treated me any different because I was a reservist. Uh, and I'm always grateful for that. They always included me. You know, they never made me feel like I was an outcast or, you know, they never mm -hmm. made me feel like I was less than myself. They didn't care if I was great, you know. And that's the thing I love about, you know, leaders, you know, is that they're trying to make other leaders leaders, you know, and uh, I'm always, you know, blessed to say that, you know, I had a good team and, you know, I'll probably leave you with this. I'm a country boy at home from Southwest Georgia. So I love agricultural analogies at the end of the day. You know, um, I feel like it best explains who I am and where I'm going and what I'm trying to say. And that is this, you know, you can be good seed all day, but if your soil is not right, you're not going to be able to grow, you know? So I can look at my soil over the years, being in the military, looking at my family, looking at my law school family. I, I'll also throw them in there as well. And just realizing that this community became my village in which I was able to grow. And I just want to be able to use these same principles, these same lessons, these same struggles, you know, to be able to show people like, hey, this isn't a wound anymore. This is a scar. And if I can go through everything that I've gone through to get to this point, I know that you can too. So it's so much bigger than me. This story, the video, uh, this uniform, uh, this suit, when people see me, when you see this in the background, like I want to make this so much bigger than me. You know, my experience is like, it's not about me at all. What am I doing for somebody else? It's about bettering our communities, bettering our nation and, you know, uh, Making leaders leaders, you know, people should be better because we are here, you know. Uh, so, yes, sir. A true, a true testament to the word that I think gets used too much, but the meaning of using it too much is really um, the point of resiliency, right? So, what what a what a story, and thank you for sharing with us. Um, I have one last question, and then. Uh, Senior Perez Ajola can go ahead and and take it, but I kind of want you to attack it at the question that I ask at uh, a brand new person before joining the military. Now that since we can take paralegals off the street, right? Mm -hmm. So towards them, and then also current paralegals that may be thinking about being an attorney. So what um, if you if you can like capture it? What would you say to them if they wanted to join the Air Force first as enlisted, thinking about becoming a, a JAG, and then for the paralegals that are currently doing the grind right now and trying to trying to make their own path to the end result of where you're at? I would say probably a few things. I would say that you, the one you will win if you do not quit. 
Um, I think that this journey for me, there were times where it looked like nothing was happening, you know, but the one thing that I've learned is as I, as especially as an enlisted person is that you can't stop. You can't stop. You know, sometimes are you stuck or have you stopped? You know, if you know that you have a dream and you know that that's in your heart to do, you can't stop doing what you've been doing that got you to this point. You know, mm. same things that it's going to take you to get the blessing is going to be the same things that it takes you to keep it. And that just that may mean just doing what you've been doing on a day to day. Sometimes we look for the spectacular. Or if I can just, you know, go to law school. Sometimes it just may mean getting this discharge packet together. You know, sometimes it just may be executing a flawless Article 15 packet. So it's not so much of the abnormal as it is the routine, you know. Uh, and that's what I would say to a lot of, you know, our present and also our future paralegals uh, who aspire to be JAGs. What a great way, different way. I mean, I think is a more meaningful way to say grow where you're planted, man. That was, woo. There you go. And that's it. I'm going to go ahead and play this for my guys. Be all good. I have a really great team. This is great. Absolutely. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, that was great. I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, thank you all for just taking the time out to, to not only listen, but also dialogue. You know, it's not about monologue at all. Like, I just appreciate the opportunity because I, I see that you all have been there and, and done that. Like, I see the things like just by even looking at your ranks, the things that I can imagine that you've done to just get to this point. But to talk to a senior airman, like, I think that's that's something I'll always remember, like, but I'm grateful. It's not about me at all. Like it's about the betterment of our Air Force and the betterment of our JAG Corps. And uh, thank you both for having me today as well.